welcome to the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. I'm David Lorimer, co-editor of a new book, Spiritual Awakenings, Scientists and Academics Describe Their Experiences. It's published by the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences and is available in paperback and Kindle editions. In this series of weekly podcasts, we'll be sharing the 57 original essays together with introductions and epilogue from my co-editor, Professor Marjorie Willicott. We hope you enjoy them. From Proof to Purpose, Parapsychology as a Meaningful Lived Experience by Chris Rowe, read by Martin Redfern. When I was director of an MSc programme in Transpersonal Psychology and Consciousness Studies, we ran an orientation meeting with each cohort to introduce the research project they needed to complete in order to graduate. We emphasised that for the work to be truly transpersonal, it wasn't enough for it to focus on a transpersonal topic or to adopt more creative transpersonal research methods. It needed also to have the potential to transform them as a researcher and perhaps also as a human being. Similarly, my own transformative process has not been grounded in profound spontaneous experiences or years of spiritual practice, but rather has been prompted by my experiences as a researcher and mentor of others. For someone with a very public interest in a fringe area such as parapsychology, my training began very traditionally. My first degree is in biological sciences, and its focus on quantitative experimental methods carried through to my PhD, which explored the ways in which people can stimulate psychic or mediumistic abilities by subtle exploitation of psychological principles using a collection of strategies called cold reading. That training emphasised rigour and control, with the expectation that, if experiments are conducted competently, then real effects will be replicated with high fidelity. My first inkling that this was unrealistic in the social sciences came about during one of my PhD studies, when I discovered that some participants had been conducting their own experiments within my experiment. They were asked to draw a house, a tree and a person, which would be interpreted by an analyst to give a personality description. In fact, there was no analyst, and everyone received the same personality description compiled from statements recommended by pseudo-psychics. As expected, participants were impressed by these character descriptions and rated them as accurate and particular to them. However, they disclosed that they had created their own hypothesis about the study, and they had sought to test them via the drawings they produced. For example, to see if drawing a person with large eyes might be interpreted as a sign of paranoia, or drawing a large person relative to the size of the house and the tree might suggest egocentrism. I realised that participants are not passive data generators in an experiment, but are sentient beings with their own agendas and expectations. If 95% of the experiment exists only between a participant's ears rather than in the equipment or instructions that the researcher has control over, then the nature of the experiment can differ enormously from person to person. 
this has instilled in me an appreciation that conducting research is as much an art as a science, and flourishes only when the approach is personal-centred and mindful. At about the same time, a fellow PhD student, Tony, gave a conference presentation in which he admitted that, despite his lifelong interest in parapsychology and the huge effort he had made to develop a thorough understanding of what we knew about psi, the collective term for phenomena that seem inexplicable in materialist terms, when he actually encountered people who reported a rich history of personal psychic experience, this made him feel deeply uncomfortable. It was one thing to accept in abstract terms that extrasensory perception or psychokinesis might be demonstrated in the laboratory as tiny but statistically significant effects, and quite another to be confronted by people for whom the phenomena that Tony had studied were a pervasive feature of their lived experience. To his credit, he recognised that it was his reaction that needed to be corrected. As researchers who are interested in psi as it occurs in situ, we have a responsibility to engage with the flesh-and-blood experiences of practitioners if we are to have a true appreciation of them. In consequence, an essential part of my work has been to reach out to practitioner communities to get to know healers, psychics and mediums, and to spend time within their subcultural milieu. This shift from a dualistic perspective that makes a hard distinction between the researcher and the researched to a non-dual perspective in which we are inextricably linked was also facilitated by a meeting with Patrice Keane, director of the American Society for Psychical Research. As we chatted about our research interests and activities, I happened to bemoan the difficulty in finding reliable and committed participants to work with. Patrice asked if we had thought of being our own participants, or otherwise looking to develop our own psychic abilities. That was certainly one way to ensure that the participant wasn't cheating. To our shame we admitted that we had not, but on our return to the UK set about rectifying matters. We began a series of dream ESP experiments that could include ourselves as participants. The computer-based system allowed us to be both experimenter and participant without compromising either role. This provided a wonderful opportunity for me to become more familiar with my own inner world, to recognise habitual thoughts and feelings, but also to notice unusual responses that were potentially the result of an ESP influence. Over time, I've become more successful as a participant in these controlled experiments, reflecting, I think, my increased sensitivity to my inner experience. It has become clear to me that a characteristic feature of a first-person perspective is meaning. Human beings are naturally meaning-makers rather than fact-finders. This realisation has affected the perspective I adopt when presented with a new case to study or participant to interview. When I started out as a researcher, my intention was clearly to map exceptional experiences in a way that allowed us to identify any possible conventional explanations and test whether the experiment's usually paranormal interpretation was tenable. 
the focus was very much on whether the experience could be construed as proof of some kind of anomaly, a contradiction to the prevailing materialist worldview. This has become less important to me as I have shifted to a meaning orientation, and I am more likely to begin by asking what meaning the experience has for the participant, what lessons do they draw from it, and how might it have changed their lives. Much of my time is now devoted to normalising paranormal experiences, explaining that, while they might be rare occurrences for many, they are so common across the population as a whole that they clearly fall within the range of healthy human experience. Common or garden variety exceptional experiences, if that isn't an oxymoron, are not indicative of credulity or pathology, so people should not fear disclosing them to others, or be wary of reflecting on and processing their experiences so that they can be an impetus for spiritual growth and self-realisation. Thanks so much for downloading the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. Do join us for the next episode.